Pedersen, oh, it's 1-0 Blues! What a header that is! Christian Pedersen with a bullet header! It's then floated towards the back post, Jukovic in there, Jukovic! Oh, what a header! This man is on red-hot form at St Andrews at the moment. And it goes again towards the towering Zigic. Oh, confusion at Martin! And surely scored the winning goal for Birmingham City! The Blues Talk Podcast with Dale Moon and Callum Denning. Right, Dale, it's our uh, second Blues Talk podcast in these slightly strange, unprecedented conditions. We're in lockdown, we're on Skype, but we've got another podcast for your listening pleasure. Yeah, hope everybody's obviously fit, healthy and uh, adhering to the government guidelines as we are at the club. Of course, players and staff still working from home. So we mentioned before how the players have fitness equipment just so they can carry on do their job and Skype allows us to do ours from home as well. So still trying to get some interviews out there, still trying to bring you some insight into how the players are dealing with uh, what are just obviously unprecedented circumstances. Um, we still don't know when the finish line is going to be. Uh, these daily government updates sort of our guiding light as to what we can expect. But as it stands, mm-hmm. for the foreseeable, it's Skype interviews and talking to players remotely. Yeah, the joy of modern technology, of course, Skype. And we've got uh, our archive as well, which enabled us to have a nice rewatch of the Carling Cup final. Still as tense as it was nine years ago. Yeah, I love that because we've all seen the goals. We've seen the Zigic goal and the Obafemi Martin celebration. We've seen, obviously, Stephen Carr lift the trophy. But it's the bits in between that you sort of forget happened. And when you watch the entire game sort of as live, just bring back some some unbelievable memory. I've, I mean, I forget that Kifar, he smashed the... The inside of the post. And yeah, I can't believe the amount of people that forgot that. Yeah, it's it's just those little details that you don't see as regularly. So I think it just gave everyone a bit of respite, a couple of hours on a Sunday afternoon to relive, obviously, the, the finest 90 minutes in the club's history. So, yeah, really enjoyed watching and tweeting along with that one as well. Some good interaction. No, I was getting a bit of jit from uh, off. I was about to say, do we want to talk about your photo um, outside Wembley Stadium? <laughs> Shocking. Yeah, well, uh, well, you got... During those times, early twenties, a bit of uh, a bit experimental with styles and stuff, and so I'm in no position to comment. (laughs) I went for the overgrown crops style, but Sean Rush, they really appreciate his input. uh, Hang on, forget Sean Rush. Dealey Adebola got involved. (laughs) Dealey Adebola, who couldn't grow a hair if he watered it, stood outside for twenty hours, giving me jip, I should say. For, for, for having a long haircut. So, um, yeah, I got it from all sides. I think Jude had a little go, David Davis, but Sean Rush was the main one by posting an in-betweeners picture. So, thanks for that. It was quite accurate. But listen, we're all in the same situation. We'll all look like that in a, in a couple of months' time. Now, listen, we're all missing football. One man, perhaps, more than all of us, Josh McEachran, who, uh, who joins us this week on the Blue Sock Podcast. Yeah, great to hear from Josh. Obviously, he sustained that horrible knee injury. Uh, in the FA Cup game against against Coventry City, but it was um, we haven't spoken to him since, and it's obviously five six weeks since it happened. So great to catch up with catch up with him, see how his rehabilitation going, and he's got he's a great story as well. You know, was part of that Chelsea academy who went through the transition of the Abramovich days and injection of money and all the riches that comes with it. Um, and he was the poster boy for for some time, really, as to the next one after conveyor belt and. I think, you know, by his own admission, had to go out on loan to a few clubs to get first-team football and realise that his Chelsea career 
uh, you know, had to he had to go out elsewhere to go and get games. So moves on to Brentford and then finds himself out in the cold in the summer. And but for a, a good mate in Harley Dean who sorts him out of a football club. We don't know where he'd be at the minute, but yeah, good to hear an update from him, both in terms of his rehabilitation, but also a great story to tell and smashing lad as well. Really intriguing as well to hear how he's doing physio over FaceTime during this current crisis. Yeah, no, it's uh, he's trying, trying to obviously still do what's best for him. He can't have physical contact with the physios, so any of the hands-on stuff can't happen. But I suppose, you know, we've got a great medical team, as the the, the Michael Kiftenbaugh documentary illustrated, you know, the likes of Pete Shaw and Dave Hunt and the guys who uh, who work uh, in that in that medical room day in, day out. They know what they're doing, and any information, I'm sure, will get to to Josh McEachern. And, and he's the sort of player, I think, that's doing everything by the book and just is focused on, on coming back as quick as he can. Obviously, he knows it's going to be a long a long road, as it was with, with Michael Kiftenbeld. It, it's a nine-month process, and so still probably got the best part of six, seven months. But, you know, he's a, he's a mature enough guy at 27, fit and healthy enough that hopefully he should make a full recovery. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, don't just hear it from us. Have a listen to the man himself, Josh McEachern, on the Blues Talk podcast. The Blues Talk Podcast. Josh McEachern, the latest, I don't know, we, see, we keep saying victims, I keep saying victim of our podcast. Yeah, right? no, you're playing it down a bit. Yeah, no, I do think it's uh, I do think it's privileged guest on Blues Talk. Josh, thanks ever so much for joining us from, yeah, another Skype conversation given the, the current climate. So how's things, Josh? Yeah, all good, thank you. Um, haven't been doing much for the last five weeks, to be honest, since my operation, so... <laughs> Not much has changed. Obviously, we're in complete lockdown now, which is not ideal. And hopefully things get um, sorted sooner rather than later. But yeah, it's been it's been not too bad. Thank you. Yeah, it's never good that um, obviously this has all happened. But from a footballing point of view, does it mean that you miss less football? Because obviously the season's suspended for now. Yeah, def- definitely. From like a selfish point of view, it's um, like definitely going to... Um, Give me a chance, obviously, to come back sooner with the current state of whatever's happening with with the football. Regarding, no one knows what's going to happen if it's going to continue, when it's going to continue. It's all up in the air at the moment. But the longer it goes on, yeah, from a personal point of view, definitely. Yeah, so we got lots to talk about. We can go through your whole career and right up to the the present day. You can tell us all about how your knee is is now. Um, but I suppose it'd be good to, to start on that front, really. Um, I think during that Coventry City uh, Cup tie, the moment it happened, I think we all went from a media point of view that that was a nasty one. You just knew straight away. But just take us through sort of what what you remember about the injury and, and the moments after. Yeah, I've never ever had a serious um, knee injury before. I've always had quite bad uh, breaks in my, in my feet, um, ankles and stuff but I've never had a serious knee injury and yeah like you said as soon as I'd done it I knew straight away that I didn't know it was my cruciate I knew it was some sort of ligament because I heard like a, a crack and a and not a nice sound so I knew it was something but I didn't know it was as serious as my cruciate but yeah um it was it was <laughs> wasn't a nice feeling and touch wood I do come back um stronger and don't have to go through that again because it wasn't 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 very nice yeah, I mean, Cal, we, you were obviously in the gallery during that game, so yeah, sort of in the press box had the the benefit of having seen it slowed down, and and you could just tell straight away that um, it was a nasty one. It, was it painful, Josh, at the time? I know it's a silly question, but I mean, talking to Michael Kifton about it, he said he didn't realise the seriousness of the injury at the time, whereas you obviously felt that you knew it was a bad one. 
Yeah, no, straight away, I was in absolute agony. I'm not going to lie. It was really painful. But then it um, sort of like eased off and Pete got over to me and was like, how are you feeling? I was like, to be honest, it, it feels all right. And then he was he like assessed my knee a tiny bit and he's like, no, 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 we need to get you off. Yeah. So I was like, okay. And then as I was on the stretcher, the the pain just come back massively. Um, so I had a little bit of gas in there so they could do all the tests because I wasn't like, I was just tensing up and they couldn't like do the test properly on my knee. And yeah, as soon as they'd done the ACL test, it just you could just tell straight away that it was my ACL. So yeah. yeah. The first first instance, yeah, not gonna lie, I was in agony. But then it did ease a little bit. And and it tends to be that the swelling's the main issue in the first few days. I think obviously with all bad knee injuries, you have to wait for the swelling to go down to go and get it scanned. But you you were just saying, was it just your cruciate that you'd done completely? Was it a ruptured cruciate? Uh, well, in the end, I had to operate on three of my um, three of my ligaments in my knee, like the ACL, and then the. Um, ligament on the outside of my knee and the ligament on the inside of my knee so there was quite a lot of work to be done in the end um it wasn't just a straightforward acl reconstruction but um yeah the swelling the it's still swollen now that's what's restricting you because it actually feels all right it feels like loose like i can bend it and stuff but there is still swelling around my kneecap which is really frustrating so i'm just game ready and every day three four times a day just to try and get it down as much as i can um hopefully it's been five week, five or six weeks today so i've got a um facetime chat with huntley later oh. and then hopefully i can come off the crutches which is good news um and then just go from there really but well it has been the the um the most painful bit not painful sorry the most annoying part mm. How's that been checking in with the physios and everything over FaceTime, of course, while we're in this lockdown? Yeah, it's been it's been strange. Uh, yeah, we quite enjoy our little daily FaceTime, me and Hunty. It's not bad to be fair. And he just goes he just goes through all different exercises with me, um, just so I know exactly what I'm doing really. I don't want to push my knee too hard and I don't want to do too little. So he just yeah, explains everything and then I go off, do my exercises, and then we catch up the next day. <laughs> it's obviously strange, not an ideal situation. I obviously prefer to be around the lads and stuff at the training ground, doing my rehab there. But, yeah, that's not um, the case at the moment. How do you find it mentally, Josh? I know like, all, all players who get injured obviously got to go through the physical challenge of, of rehabilitation, but also being away from the group and not feeling a part of it again when you have been for the season. So how, how have you found it, what's going on between the years? Yeah, I think that's one of um, well, that's one of the toughest part being injured. I have had a few uh, long-term injuries, so you do have to kind of just switch off and get on with your own thing, just because you know you're out for a significant amount of time. You just need to do as much as you can to get back. But I think the hardest part is being away from the lads or like the banter in the changing room because I'm not in at the same time as them. The banter. Obviously, like on the coach, on the way to away trips, just all of that I'm missing at the moment. Obviously, training with them day in, day out. It is hard to be away from them, but it's part and parcel of the game, really. Just need to get my head down, get on with it, and hopefully be um, be back before I know it. Yeah, I suppose, sadly, because you've had those injuries before, you're actually well-versed in dealing with it. It's not the first time that you've had to go through it, so because it stood you in good stead that you know what to expect. Yeah, definitely. I'm just going to... Um, 
yeah, as I said before, just get my head down, use this time to get as strong as I can, really. Um, I wanted to do that anyway, but when you are training, it is hard to, you're training like every day, playing Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. You haven't got that time really to really focus on your body and get yourself as strong because the game time just takes takes over of that. So I'm just going to use this time to do as much as I can in the gym and get my body in a great physical condition. At least it sounds relaxing at home, John. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I am in the kitchen, but yeah, my little one's playing up a little bit. Sorry, I'm debut. It's absolute effort to go up the stairs, so you just have to put up with that. <laughs> yeah, that's how you say that. Well, Keith was saying the same thing. Like, it just it affects your everyday stuff that you take for granted. Put tie on your shoelaces, getting up and down stairs, dressing yourself. When you're in a big knee brace, you're on crutches. It affects every little fibre in day. Yeah, literally everything. Like my missus has done fair play to her. She has done pretty much everything for me for the last five weeks. So <laughs> as soon as these crutches are gone, I think I'm gonna have to, um, yeah, get on with everything else now because we've got a little boy as you can hear in the background. So it has been tough for us. So, yeah. Um, have you spoke to any of the other lads, Josh, just away from the injury and just keeping in touch with, with all the boys? Because a big part of, obviously, being a player is the camaraderie and, and being around the lads. So how are they doing? Yeah, yeah. No, they're all, doing, they're all doing good. They've all obviously got their individual plans and stuff. So they're ticking over. I think once they do go back, they'll be like a little pre-season kind of thing. So I don't think they need to like absolutely blast themselves. But... They're just ticking over like you do just before summer, really, mm. just before you come back. Um, but they all seem good. They all seem good. Everyone, like everyone's in the same position, aren't they? Really. So everyone's just got to get on with it. Um, there's literally nothing we can do. The government has said stay indoors as much as you can. So everyone just needs to abide by that, really. And the sooner we do it, the quicker it'll all be done with. Yeah, that seems to be the case. Talking to Campy and Peds as well last week that. There's an acceptance, isn't there? Whether you're a player or whether you know you're away from the professional football game, everybody has got to accept the conditions that we're in at the minute and make the best of it. Yeah, it's beyond football, really, isn't it? It's a matter of public health. So, of course, following the government guidelines and everything is uh, the yeah. most important thing. No, exactly. Like we're obviously in a very unusual situation, but probably. <laughs> 90% of the population are as well. So we've just got to do our bit and hope everyone else does their bit as well. And um, hopefully soon everyone will be back to normal and doing their daily jobs. So, yeah, but the lads seem to be coping with it well, as I said before. So hopefully it um, sorts itself out. From your point of view, Josh, does, the, does this season need to finish or can you write it off? Where do you stand on it? Um, well, the last... For the lads, uh, they've been on absolute fire, haven't they, for the last six weeks or whatever, probably since I've been injured. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but they've gone, like, I don't know how many games it is now. They went, like, 10 or something unbeaten before Reading, so they've been playing unbelievably well. So I don't think, no, when you're a professional footballer, the, no one wants the season to be over. Personally, like, it doesn't really matter for me because I know I'm out for another six, seven months. So yeah. it's not that it's not up to me. But no, for the lads, they, they want to keep going as much as possible. Even in the summer, like you have your time off, like two, three weeks off, but then you're itching to get back. So no, they definitely know. But from a person point of view, I'm not sure 
I don't mind what happens, really. I think the big thing, of course, that we mentioned last time, Dale, as well with Campy, is the integrity of the competition almost, that from a sporting perspective, it kind of needs to be finished, and that's without getting into the scheduling issues that could then follow. Yeah, I think you look at, with so much at stake as well, teams that are in the relegations or in the divisions, other sides that put everything into it and found themselves in a great spot in the driving seat to go and achieve a first promotion in years, all the financial rewards that come with it. With that much at stake, you feel like the EFL and the Premier League, to an extent, are doing as much as they can to try and get this season finished with, what, eight, nine, ten games left to play, a couple of, um, a couple of games every week. You can probably get it get the season done in six weeks, five, six weeks. Play, play your playoffs in the space of a week, Saturday, Tuesday, as as semi-finals and then a final on a Sunday, it'd be rushed and it'd be, you know, it'd be a lot quicker and condensed than usual. But there is a way of getting it done over the summer if they want to obviously just eat into your your May June time. Yeah, no, I agree. Like now the Euros has been postponed till um, till next year. Like if we were sitting where Leeds and West Brom were sitting and it's been uh, cancelled, like you'd be absolutely devastated, wouldn't you? Even the teams in the playoff positions and stuff like Brentford and that haven't been that high for years and years. So they'd be gutted if the if they did um, cancel the league now. And like the Premier League teams, Liverpool haven't won it for thirty years. So I wouldn't be too bothered, not being a <laughs> Liverpool fan. But you know what I mean. Like there is a lot of at stake. So yeah, looking at it, obviously from their point of view, I think it does need to it does need to carry on. Um, but it's just what they do, like you said. It probably could get done in six weeks. It's just when when they do do that with everything going on, like is it going to get worse or it's just fitting that time in? Yeah, I mean, I think the case of when when it's going to peak and do you start the new season or sorry, do you finish this season behind closed doors? But then is the spectacle the same? There's still lots of questions that I think need exactly. to. Um, I'm sure they'll figure out a way and they'll do the best thing possible. Um, but yeah, no one knows at the moment what's going to happen. No. Decisions made far above our pay grade. <laughs> exactly. Uh, in terms of your time at the club, Josh, obviously, um, yeah, I mean, joined on a, a free transfer. It was, what, September now? So we're looking over six months, probably, probably just over six months. Yeah, six, seven months. How do you feel like you've settled in and the area and everything that comes with moving to a new club? Yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I've never... Never lived in the Midlands before. I've always been around um, Surrey, London way. I was born in Oxford, obviously, but I moved to Surrey when I was younger. But living, um, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, enjoying the club. It's a massive club. Uh, the fan base is massive. Um, the lads are brilliant. The staff, everything around the club is really good. So I'm enjoying it. It was a very strange way how it come, uh, come about. I was, wasn't expecting it at all. But no, now I'm here. I've settled in well. Took me... Um, a while obviously to get up to speed with um, with the squad and that having missing pre-season and um, stuff like that but yeah obviously now what's happened I'm not enjoying it as much yeah. but no I have been enjoying it a lot um, t- Talk us through that summer I know we spoke to you when you first joined the club and you first interview on camera but I know you were speaking to other clubs. You'd had certain trial games with, with clubs, but it didn't quite work out. Can you tell us a bit about that summer and, and what sort of happened that, that led you to join it? Yeah, there was there was a quite a lot um, going on, to be honest. Um, Brentford did offer me a contract um, back in January, but I just wanted a change. Um, I've been there for like four, that was my fourth season. 
and I just wanted something different to be honest um and then from like February and stuff they started um not including me in the squads and stuff because obviously I weren't signed in the contract which is fair enough they was looking at the younger lads coming through so from like March time obviously I knew like I needed to look elsewhere and um there was um there was talks of me going somewhere and it was pretty much promised that this was going to happen. So I was waiting for that club pretty much the whole summer. I, I turned down a lot of championship clubs to um, to sign for this one club. For whatever reason, that didn't happen in the end. And then, um, yeah, I was just speaking to Harley about it and he said, like, um, what's, what, what's going on with, like, um, you at the moment, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, why don't you just come and train with us for a bit? And I said, oh, yeah, like, I'd love to. He spoke to Dom. Dom got me in to train for a bit. Um, so it was like a train trial kind of just to see where my fitness was. He liked the look at me. I, look, I liked the look of the club, etc. And then, yeah, he offered me the two-year contract, which I was delighted about. Do you feel um, when you are on trial at 26, 27 years old, it's a, it's a little bit weird again? Yeah, <laughs> no, I know. But I didn't have a choice, really, like, I, as I said, I turned down quite a lot of championship clubs, um, and yeah, I, I didn't. I've never been in that position since I was about seven years old when I was on, on trial. But yeah, to be twenty six, yeah, and on trial was was strange. But just got to get on with it, really. Like it's for my career, so I had to do it. Um, it was a bit embarrassing, but it is what it is. It worked out in the end. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think. And when, the minute that you was linked with us and I think the word got out that you were training with the club I think a lot of fans could obviously see that you'd add something to us given the the amount of games that you've played in the even even at Brentford I think a lot of people will say oh you know he's had injury trouble but when you look at Brentford I think you played what for nearly 30 games a season for however many three, three four years that you'd been there so you still racked up enough games at championship level to prove yourself yeah yeah no I've been I've been playing uh, my first loan no that was yeah my first one was Swansea but after that I went to Middlesbrough so I've been playing in the championship since I was like 19 years old so I have um I have got quite a few games under my belt now yeah and even at Brentford I did have quite a lot of injuries but I think I still played over 100 games for them which is which is not bad so yeah I do have quite a quite a bit of experience and yeah, hopefully I can use that when I'm back. I can't ask you about your time at Brentford because Cal, I think from our, from a Birmingham City point of view, there seems to have emerged this faux rivalry that Brentford fans, <laughs> Brentford fans seem to look at, at Blues as, a, as the bad guys and whatever. For yeah, whatever they like us. Yeah, for whatever reason. As a player, what was that all about, Kate? Say that again. I didn't. I didn't I've never even knew this was going on. Uh, so, for whatever reason, whether it's because obviously a number of players have moved over the years, Clayton Donaldson mm. and Granger, and then in more recent times, Max, Harley, Hutter, yourself. So Harley obviously cops it quite bad from Brentford, um, from Brentford fans. But as a player, was you not aware that supporters felt any particular way about Blues? No, no, not at all. Um, no, that's the first time I've heard it, really. I know, like, saying it like that, it doesn't sound the best, like the... You've probably taken a lot of their best players. We have, sorry. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I've never realised it, to be fair. Um, when you're at Brentford, mate, is it quite... Obviously, it's got a lot of um, accolades for their recruitment and the process of picking players. Every summer, is it a new player walks through the door who not many people are aware of and yet they turn into a, 
a player who can be sold for big money? Is it is it a big feature of when you're at Brentford, the recruitment side of things just seems to be spot on? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Like what the owner has done, Matthew Bennett, has been unbelievable. As you say, people walk through the door and you don't hear about them. They spend five hundred grand on a player from the bottom leagues or one of the second, third division abroad or whatever, and then he sells them on for like eight, nine million pounds in a matter of two years or whatever. So what he's done there has been great. They look very, very good this season. Um, I think if they do carry on and stay in the playoffs, they'll probably be my favourites to go up, to be fair. Um, to go to Griffin Park is a tough, tough place to go. But yeah, um, carrying on with what you said, he, he does unbelievable. I think the first year, I, when I signed there, it would have been four and a half years ago. I think there was a turnaround of about... 10, 11 players. So it has calmed down a bit now. I think it's like more four or five players. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done obviously a fantastic job. Yeah. Whenever you know when you play Brentford, they've got that style of play. But it was a good move for you as well. Comes at a time where you'd been on loan to a number of clubs at Chelsea and then it meant you could obviously stay in, stay in London. That was aimed at you, Dale, I think. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you could obviously stay in London and you knew you were going to get first team football which I presume I mean without putting words in your mouth that was the main reason <laughs> sorry you're going to have to say that again <laughs> so um, moving to Brentford obviously at the time that you did you'd been on loan to a number of clubs yeah. but when they come in, offered you obviously four years, went there, stays in London. It's a, it's a great move for you just to go and get first team football regularly for a few years. No, yeah, exactly. Um, I got to the stage at Chelsea where I kind of knew, like, right, this isn't for me. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna um, play here. Um, so I wanted to just get out of that Chelsea bubble kind of thing, take a step away from it, and just get regular first team football. And the style of play that Brentford play, I thought was a perfect fit for me. Um, so, yeah, that's when I decided to, to join Brentford. And, I, no, I did really enjoy myself there. You look back, I mean, we spoke to Jake Clark sort of a few weeks ago, and he was saying how he feels the landscape's changed at Chelsea, even in the short time that, you know, you, you haven't been at Chelsea for five years now. But do you feel like so much has changed there for young players now in terms of a clear pathway under Frank Lampard that you might get a chance? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think it has changed since he's um, taken over. I think with the fact they couldn't sign anyone for two years or whatever was ideal um, because he did want to bring the youth um, through anyway, but he had no choice because uh, he couldn't sign anyone. So that was a perfect t- uh, time for the young players to prove themselves. And as you can see, they have been the likes of Tammy, um, Mason Mount, Billy Gilmore now getting his chance, Reese James... There's a lot of them proving themselves, and I'm delighted for them because obviously at a top top club like Chelsea, they need to win trophies. But it looks like they're they're um, going the right way about it. Yeah, Carl, we were we were discussing after we spoke to Jake about how he said he had to get used to losing at Chelsea, and when you're part of that youth team who win expected to win the FA Youth Cup and mm-hmm. sweep the board with every competition you're in, you then suddenly find yourself out on loan at clubs where you're not dominating the ball. You're not winning every single week, and that sort of is a bit of a cool. That kind of baptism of fire, I suppose, as well. But Josh, that kind of started with your generation, didn't it? Were you the first Chelsea side to win the FA Youth Cup? Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I can't remember what year it was back in now, but I don't think Chelsea had won the competition for about 50 years. And then um, we had a, yeah, we did have a very good youth team. And then we we won it. We was the first team to win it. And then I think in the last 10 years or so, I think they've won it seven or eight times. So, yeah, they're obviously doing something right. And I think they've won the UEFA Youth Champions League five or six times. And yeah, so they have had fantastic talent come through but it's just um, obviously a, a club like Chelsea Man City that the managers are under so much pressure to deliver trophies um, every season um, it's hard to um, chuck um, a 17 18 year old straight in was it what was it like Josh being expected to be the next big one after conveyor belt because obviously Dan had too many come through the system and it almost like you were the poster boy for Look, we are bringing young players through. Did you? What was it like at that time? Can you cast your mind back? I suppose it was would have been a bit of a whirlwind for for a young teenager. Yeah, it was it was crazy uh, playing with the um, the players that I played with. The manager at the time was Carlo Ancelotti, and what he's done um, in worldwide football, playing under him was unbelievable. So yeah, it was it was good times um, traveling. It was it was hard though because obviously. They play on a Saturday and then I didn't see my family at all. Not that I was complaining or whatever, but we just literally had no days off for a month, two months or whatever, because you're just travelling all the time with Champions League. Then you'll have an FA Cup game then you play in the Premier League. It's just non-stop, but that's what you want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Um... It's amazing, really, when you think of the, the number of young players that are there now, just have an embarrassment of riches. The sheer number of players that are out on loan from Chelsea's academy, um, playing in the Championship and, and lower leagues, and even abroad. Now, you had a stint in, in Holland as well, and it seems to be a regular occurrence, that partnership out in, in Holland. How did you find going abroad as a young player? No, oh, I enjoyed it. My little brother's my little brother's gone out there now um, to get to get some games, and he's he's enjoying himself. But I, um, yeah, personally, I think for if a young English lad does get the chance to go abroad, whether it's Holland, Germany, um, anywhere in Europe, really, I would recommend it. I loved it. I love the style of play, the culture. It just, um, it was just good for me at the time. You seem to be a player who fits that style of play, Josh. You know, just in the sort of the technical aspect of the game, getting on on the football, enjoying the, the possession-based side of things. I think Vitesse and, and the Dutch league probably suited you in terms of a style as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's obviously one of the other reasons I decided to go out there because it's definitely more technical and tactical over there. So it was a perfect fit for me, like Brentford was. And like Birmingham is, I think they're trying to, I, I've spoke to Pep a lot of times and he is trying to, bring that style of play to Birmingham. Um, so, yeah, I think that will come sooner rather than later, to be honest. Um, he's recruited a lot more players to play that type of football, which I'm excited about. Yeah, how, t- how tough is that, Cal? We've seen other managers gone before us and mm-hmm. they've obviously had a, a remit to change the style of play and arguably, some will say, I tried to do it too soon. Do you think it's perhaps probably gone about it the right way in that it's a, it's a pragmatic approach? It, it was that free-flowing base football early in the season. We had a tricky spell over Christmas, so he's gone but reverted back to to what sort of his familiar... Yeah. Well, I think I think the difference that we've seen with Pep is that he's prepared to change and adapt, isn't he, to these situations, whereas other managers that have come here before 
have kind of gone all guns blazing to start with. It hasn't worked. They've stuck with it and then ultimately almost paid the price for that. Yeah, it just seems like... I mean, at Brentford, Josh, when you went there, they already had that reputation of playing that type of football or has that developed? No, no, that, that comes from like the top, top. So I think whatever manager goes there, he knows exactly what style of football he's going to play. So I think like... Um, yeah, every year they know exactly what they're going to do and stuff. Good times, bad times. They only have like one style of football and it's working at the moment, so you can't fault it. Yeah, yeah, it seems to be that way. Uh, number of loan spells. We've spoken about your time in Holland. I just want a short line, really. Maybe even a word if you can condense it down. So I'm going to read out a number of the other four clubs that you've been out alone to and just try and describe your time there. So let's go Swansea. Um, what one word answers? <laughs> no, you can just give us a line or two. You don't have to go into too much detail because obviously you're still a young player, but just some of your time. Very disappointed how it uh, turned out. <laughs> it's Middlesbrough, plenty of games, but how did that yeah, go? Middlesbrough, we was absolutely flying up until Christmas. We were second. Juki was there. For whatever reason, we only won, I think, two or three games after Christmas. So we finished, I think, about 16, 17. Like, 16th or 17th, um, but no, I really enjoyed really enjoyed my time in Middlesbrough. I got 38, 39 games under my belt, so it was good, good times. So Juki was there with you? Yeah, Juki, yeah, Juki was there. What was he like? The same sort of player. I can't imagine he was running channels and outpacing defenders. Back <laughs> yeah, nah, he wasn't doing that. He was obviously doing what he's doing now. Really, he was just bullying defenders, scoring headers. Um, yeah, obviously he's one of our main players at the moment. Um, what he does is unbelievable. So, but yeah, he was doing he was doing the same at Middlesbrough. He wasn't running no channels. <laughs> Watford. Watford. Um, no, I didn't enjoy my time there. No, it didn't work out. And then Wigan. Wigan. Yeah, was a bit bit hit and miss. It was um, similar to um, my start uh, at Birmingham. Really, I. Uh, wasn't fit so I had to get my fitness up which took um, took a while once I um, got fit it was good like we had a good run in the FA Cup we unfortunately lost to Arsenal at Wembley in the semi-final on penalties but no I, I did enjoy my time like in the end there. Yeah, did, did you have to get used to not dominating when you left Chelsea when you go to a Swansea or Middlesbrough Watford Wigan in the years after you you've been at arguably the best academy that the country's got did you have to get used to seeing less of the ball and not winning every week? Yeah, I think that's I think that's where I struggled. Like coming through the Chelsea system and then playing um, for Chelsea, like I was so used to just winning games comfortably, having all of the ball, everything going through me, and then to change to like going into like um, a four-four-two, batting in, heading, kicking in the <laughs> Championship. Like it was a big um, wake-up call. Really, I wasn't used to it, so. Yeah, it, it was it was a massive massive shock. Uh, you mentioned your brother at Chelsea. I know, yeah, like you say, went out on loan as well. What sort of player is he, mate? Is he, can you see a bit of Josh in uh, in George? Yeah, he's similar. He's left footed central midfielder. Probably runs around a bit more than me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, he's going the right way. He's he's 19 now. He's just gone over to Holland. Obviously, this is an idea what's going on at the moment because he needs to play games, 
hopefully they carry on their season over there. I'm not sure what's happening over there, but he'll come back. And if he's not going to um, break into Chelsea's first team sooner, then he'll have to look elsewhere. But no, he's got a bright future ahead of him. Yeah, capped at various England youth levels as well. Have you got yeah. a family, Josh? Where's the talent coming from? If the two of you aren't too bad at kicking a bag of air around, you must have completed them. Yeah, no, my um, my dad will say it's uh, it's from him, but no, it's definitely not. I I've seen him play a few times when we was younger, and honestly, like he was struggling. <laughs> but um, my granddad played at not a bad level up in um, Scotland. But no, we there's four of us. There's four boys, and um, my sister's the eldest. But we um, we was just always two against two in the back garden. Literally, we would get home from school. And just play every single day, go up to the park, run in, have our dinner and just straight back into the garden. So, yeah, probably just come from that. Yeah, it's um, a decent spot for the team by the sound of things. But got picked up really early from Chelsea. And lots of people have an opinion on whether, you know, it's getting younger now, five, six-year-olds getting picked up. But you were sort of one of those as a seven-year-old who joined the Chelsea Academy. And I suppose that's all you knew from that that moment onwards so you you've seen you know gone all the way through the academy system at Chelsea what makes it so different Josh what is it the standards is it the coaching what sets it apart well when when I first went there it wasn't it wasn't like a world world class team to be honest um like we didn't have the facilities we were training in Harlington just next to Heathrow and yeah the training ground wasn't great at all but I was seven at the time like Driving from Oxford, my mum and dad sacrificed literally everything, take me three, four times a week. And I was just absolutely delighted to obviously be training and playing for Chelsea. But yeah, the the elder I got, that's when like Abramovich took over and like the facilities got better, um, the coaching staff, just everything. Um, and then that's when you thought like, wow, this is a top, top, top club. And yeah, I loved every moment there. Was there a notable sea change when Abramovich came in? Yeah, we we already moved to over to um, to Cobham, but um, we we was like right down the bottom. <laughs> so like Fulham were there, we were there, Wimbledon were there, and one other team. So it was like split into like four, and then as soon as Abramovich took over, he just bought the whole lot, and um, yeah, just literally dug up everything and put. Just unbelievable pitches, the first team facility, the academy facility. It was just, yeah, it was just unbelievable. So it was a big, big change early on. And now I suppose it's got to a stage where if you're a talented footballer in London or surrounding areas, Chelsea's developed itself into the club that I think most young players go to now. Do you agree that, you know, if, you're, if you've got the pick of the bunch, probably Chelsea's the one that young players in London are going to go to now? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it must be tough um, being a, a smaller club in London because, yeah, once Chelsea come knocking on the door, I don't think many teams are going to turn that down. So, yeah, um, Tottenham, Tottenham are getting better now with like the facilities and everything they've got and the stadium and stuff. So, I think as it goes on, teams will develop. But Chelsea just come out of nowhere and blew everyone out of the water, really, like Chelsea and the likes of Man City. Yeah, I suppose that's where you can see the Brentford have gone down the route they have. Cal, we talk about recruitment, but they've just put all of their resources into finding new players rather than developing their own because the catchment area they're in is so competitive. Well, this is it as well. They're in West London, so they're about as close to Chelsea as you can get other than Fulham and, um, and QPR, I suppose. So the competition is 
is incredibly intense around there. Yeah, you'd imagine that it'd make more sense for them to go and get players and go and put all their resources into scouting and the network that they've got across Europe and beyond rather than however many millions they'd spend on their own academy when they get pinched by the bigger clubs in London anyway. So, um, yeah, it's all interesting landscape. Um, Josh, just looking forward to the future. Then. We've pretty much gone through your whole career to date. I know you've got a long path ahead of you. Do, do you afford yourself time to look beyond this week, this month, or is it just a case of making sure that knee is right and, and not looking too far ahead? Yeah, my, my first aim is just to get this knee right, um, just to come back as fit as possible. But no, I'm looking forward to um, get back. I want to get back into the team as, as soon as possible, really, and yeah, get back get back to playing. I was enjoying enjoying my time um, playing, obviously. Um, but my main aim at the moment is just taking it week by week with my knee. Um, it was quite a serious injury. Uh, quite, I had quite a lot done to it, so I can't be um, I can't take any risks, really. I just need to get this get this right, and then look on after that. Yeah, well, um, you look after yourself. I know we delivered one of those nice uh, bits of equipment for you over the uh, yeah this period where you you were in quarantine, so you can still yeah, do that. That mate. Uh, exactly, and I suppose for you, I mean, even things like getting off your crutches is like a milestone moment. It's another step towards you being back. So. Yeah, exactly. I I can't wait. Um, I'll be speaking to Honey later, and yeah, obviously with with. I haven't been walking for five weeks, so I've lost a lot of muscle tone in my legs and stuff. And you take it for granted, walking every day is building up that muscle. So, yeah, as soon as I do come off the crutches, it will it will build up quite quickly then. A lot of people that I've spoke to say the first six, seven weeks are the slowest, and then it um, it flies by. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. Finally, is it true that you've got the most rascal gear? Say that again. <laughs> is it true? Conveniently breaking up there. I think he's asking if it's true that you've got the most rascal gear at the club. <laughs> do you know what? Quite a few lads have said that. Um, <laughs> I do come, yeah, it is quite rascal to be fair, but I back myself to pull it off. Some lads have with it, some lads aren't. So, no, I back myself. He's committed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like that. A few lads have been on at me about it, to be fair, but I don't think I'm going to change it. I enjoy what, it. What are they hammering you for, mate? What sort of items of clothing are we talking about? Uh, um, normally it's a bit baggy to be fair I like like my baggy style but it's just like the likes of Harley um, Campy do you know just like basic bills just come in basic basic <laughs> yeah <laughs> I haven't really got a leg to stand on fair play mate you enjoy whatever you wear and uh, yeah I, whenever there's a video that comes out from inside the dressing room it tends to be them hammering some oversized t-shirt that you've got on or some oversized knitwear that you seem to be rocking so fair play to you yeah no exactly i enjoy it to be fair so i'm, I'm gonna carry on <laughs> <laughs> josh thanks ever so much for taking the time out mate best of luck with your, your rehab and i look forward to hopefully seeing you back at the training ground when we're all allowed back in the building anyway the blues talk podcast with dale moon and callum denning